Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. When I started Coast to Coasties way back last January, I can't believe it's almost been a year now since we started recording. <laughs> it's flown by, and I want to thank everyone for the support that I've had in this channel. But I have yet to cover something that I said I was going to cover at the beginning of the series. I said that I would have plenty of Coasties on the show, but I also said that I would bring in some commercial mariners in the merchant marine industry because I went to college at a maritime academy and I have a lot of connections to the commercial maritime industry. And I think the viewers would very much like a perspective on what the commercial mariner does in addition to how it works with the Coast Guard, how it's different. So I went through my contact book and I found one of my good friends from Maine Maritime Academy, which happens to be my old roommate. And he's here today to talk to you about what the commercial industry is like and how it differs, how it's similar from the Coast Guard. So we're kind of going to have a flowing conversation going back and forth on this whole deal just to show you some similarities and differences. And it'll help you guys fill in a little bit of more information on what the commercial industry is like. So I'm pleased to welcome my guest today, Elon Silver. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm Elon Silver, and I currently sail with AMO, American Maritime Officers Union. And I currently work for a company called Tote Services, which runs ca uh, cargo between Alaska and California. And they also run routes between Puerto Rico and Jacksonville. And um, I'm pleased to enlighten you with my knowledge of how the Maritime industry works on my end. Let's start at the beginning here. So we both went to Maine Maritime Academy, four-year college. Now, mm -hmm. what got you interested in going to Maine Maritime Academy from high school? That's a funny story. I kind of was looking, I had a couple colleges in mind, and I was looking for something different and something that would sustain me uh, with career-wide for money and resources. And I had a couple colleges to choose from. And when I read Maine Maritime Academy's page about marine transportation operations, how it was difficult, exciting, and adventurous, kind of took a chance and never looked back. So you went throughout, I know your high school was big into the marine biology side. What made you decide to go into the transportation side, a uh, deck watch officer, essentially? Yeah. So uh, my high school was called the Sound School over in New Haven, Connecticut. And we did actually have a transportation side as a part of our curriculum. We operated small boats, less than 100 tons. And I learned some small boat handling when I was there. So it piqued my interest during junior year in high school. I did eventually go to the marine biology side, but I did see that there was no real way of moving forward with that career. So I went back to the transportation side and, and I feel like my decision really worked. There's a lot of maritime academies in the country. There's seven total. And Maine Maritime Academy is not the closest one where you live. So why did you decide to go to Maine Maritime in particular out of all the academies? I always felt that uh, if I was going to really learn the maritime industry and go to college, I wanted to go to a college that was a little farther away from home. And also I, I liked the remoteness of Maine Maritime Academy. So it, it helped me with my studies and to focus on my career without any interference from the outside world. And, uh, and it really helped me with my career and what I do today. So it really helped me out. 
So you're saying that because of how remote Maine Maritime's in a town called Castine, Maine, which is about 40 minutes from the nearest Walmart, <laughs> you're saying that helped you stay focused during school, less distractions to help you study the books better and really yeah. put a grind on your education? Yeah, and I also felt that the curriculum at Maine Maritime Academy was a little better with cadet shipping going on, going on in sophomore year and uh, also the fact of they had a newer training ship. So I felt that was important. And, and also I just liked, uh, I liked the overall feel of the campus a little better than the other academies, but that's also my opinion. So, yeah. So when I went to Maine Maritime Academy, I was considering joining the Coast Guard then. And I ultimately decided to go to Maine Maritime Academy. There's a lot of people that are in a similar boat as me and you were making that decision as to whether they should go mm -hmm. to college or not. And we know that Maine Maritime Academy is a very expensive school to attend. Yes. It is a very high tuition rate, something north of over 40000 a year, even for in-state students. Yeah. And you got the in-state tuition. So you very much know how expensive that tuition was. <laughs> so when you're deciding and you're looking at that expensive education versus maybe joining the Coast Guard for four years and then deciding whether you want to stay in the Coast Guard or get a GI Bill to pay for the academy. Because we had military veterans at the academy who were on the GI Bill. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion on deciding between those routes fresh out of high school now that you've done it? Um, I feel that um, it's that is a deep financial decision that everybody has to cross and, and move forward with. And in my opinion, if you're looking to make quick money, obviously going into the Coast Guard route or even another route that, that I learned when I was out sailing in the commercial industry, learning how unlicensed sailors became ABs, OSs, QMEDs, they, they went through a, a completely different system to make money. But it's, it's really the question of how quick you either want to become a maritime officer or your value system. When it comes to the college, if you are really gun ho on trying to become a captain, chief mate, uh, obviously going with the college route will be the better suit fit for you. If you don't feel like going with college, uh, going college right off the bat, I recommend going Coast Guard route or unlicensed route. But and to fill to fill in what Silver is saying is that an ordinary seaman or an OS would be the equivalent of a non-rate in the Coast Guard. Only the OSs in the commercial industry don't go through boot camp. They're yeah. not in the military. The ordinary seaman, though, can sign up for a union right out of high school. You know, you have high school diploma and you'll go to orientation and take some trainings and then they'll put you on a ship and you'll be doing exactly what non-rates do in the Coast Guard. Yeah, and the, uh, the, that union's called uh, SIU. And they are they are based out of Piney Point, and they do a sort of a small boot camp. It's like 15 weeks of training where you're going through firefighting, basic seamanship, sailing, how to um how to stand a proper watch, getting your watch qualifications for work, and then what they'll do is afterwards they'll send you off to a ship as an apprentice as you're trying to kind of your training period to get used to the industry. And then after that, it's a pretty fast process from there till you start making money, which is nice. So, yeah. Right. And as an ordinary seaman, you promote to be an AB or able-bodied seaman. This is the equivalent in the Coast Guard of becoming a petty officer, a mm -hmm. third-class petty officer. You're an E4, a couple years in your career. 
Mm-hmm. And I know right now in the Coast Guard, the non-rate uh, turnaround is pretty quick, but it used to be about two years, which is about the same length that you'd be an ordinary seaman until you're an AB. But yeah, it's right now, time. there's actually in the commercial industry, there's a shortage of ABs. So they're getting promoted AB pretty quickly right now as well, if you're going the commercial route. Yeah, right now, a um, couple years ago, three, four years ago, you were it would be hard to find a job as a um, as an AB on the uh, SIU uh, job board. So SIU, how it works, you have to go to a union hall, which are based around pretty much every major city in the country that's on the coast, such as uh, such as Long Beach, Seattle. Uh, you got a you got a hall over in Tampa. The, all these halls have um, have job calls in these areas where the ships are coming in. But right now we're seeing something diff- completely different across all union boards. There's a plentiful amount of jobs currently right now. The last tally that I saw for ABs on the SIU board, there was 140 job openings currently right now. Well, that's the thing is your ships are sailing short and our ships in the Coast Guard are also sailing short. Everyone's sailing short and it's a strain on everything in the maritime industry as a whole. And we're all feeling the effects. I mean, you're doing... When you graduate Maine Maritime Academy, you graduate as a third mate unlimited tonnage in the deck program. So essentially, that is the equivalent of coming to a cutter as a JO in the Coast Guard. And... As Silver is the civilian equivalent of a J.O., he's a third mate, we call it, he's doing a lot of A.B. work because they don't have the A.B.s on his ship right now to do the jobs that they're supposed to be doing. And so he has to pick up that additional work, which puts more strain on him as well. Yeah, it uh, it has added a lot more work. I've been doing a lot of crane operations, have been working with wires, where which I typically focus more on safety equipment because that's a part of my job requirement. But I've been having to divert some of my other ener- energy towards general upkeep of the ship. So we meet quotas, make sure we're up to date with inspections and a general upkeep. So when we have our, um, when people come and audit our ship that we we're up to code, all of our information's up to date. So we're not, one, making the company look bad and two, making the ship safer for us to sail on because that's in the end the most important thing when it comes to these audits. So yeah. Well, let me roll back slightly before we get into the weeds of your job right now. And talk to me about your time going through the Merchant Marine Academy. Uh, we didn't go to the official U.S. Merchant Marine Academy when I say this. We went to the state-run school, Maine Maritime Academy, mm-hmm. but they're all still Merchant Marine Academies. Yeah. So what was it like going through there your four years? Like, How did it start when you first got there? Uh, when I started the fresh, uh, my freshman year, I didn't really know if I would like the industry. But when I went on my freshman cruise, where we went to the foreign ports, when we crossed the uh, Atlantic Ocean twice, uh, actually, no, we crossed it four times. And uh, and I was actually able to see the ocean for the first time out in the middle where we couldn't see land, sailed for a couple days to each port. It um, It really opened my eyes and I felt free. So that made me excited to go into sophomore year and gave me the extra push that I needed to make it through the academies. And when we reached sophomore year, we, as you remember, started to get more into navigation, charts, celestial nav. And I thought that was all fascinating. And what really got me was when we, um, when I went on so- my sophomore cadet shipping, I sailed for a company called Pesha Hawaii. 
And that company ran between Long Beach and Hawaii. And that company taught me a lot about, one, what my job is going to be, two, what I need to do and what I need to learn and build upon. And it also showed me how much fun the sailing industry is on the on the forefront of our job. And that's what really hooked me and pushed me through the rest of my time in the Merchant Marine, Acad- um, the Merchant Marine Academy that I that I partook in and in the end helped me pass my Coast Guard exams. And here I am today enjoying my life. So, yeah. Well, I thought freshman year was very interesting because we show up and we have regimental preparation training, RPT. That was (laughs) our mini two-week boot camp that we had. It was not nearly as intense as Coast Guard boot camp. I'll throw that out there right now. I thought I was ready for Coast Guard boot camp. RPT is nothing close to what boot camp's like. But (laughs) it does get us regimented. Yes. And to that, it still breaks us down and makes us a cohesive unit Mm -hmm. throughout our class. So it does its intended purpose. And... What I thought was really cool about the way freshman year worked at Maine Maritime Academy was that they didn't push you too far into your major yet because they realized that no one knows whether we're going to like sailing underway and want to make it a career or not. Yeah. And so your freshman year, you get a basic general set of classes almost. It's a little bit more specialized than you get at liberal arts college. I mean, of course, we had nautical science and we had seamanship. Yeah, but, no, we also did uh, We also did stuff with the engineering side, too, if you remember. Right, we had to go down the engine room and trace all those systems out. And then yeah. pre-cruise, before we got on cruise, we had all the big packet of drawings they gave us to be able to sail. Yep. And what I thought was cool about that, though, was that it wasn't too late to switch your major if you got on that boat your freshman year. We sailed across the Atlantic four times, like you said. And maybe you don't like engineering after all. You can switch to deck. Or you can just decide not to go back to the school. You're out a little bit of money because it's still expensive tuition your freshman year. But you decided, hey, you know what? I gave it a shot. The commercial side's not for me. We had people join the Marines, the Army, and the Coast Guard after our freshman year. Yeah, and also, too, the nice part about our college that we went to, Maine Maritime Academy, there was a couple couple of our classmates that went with... Uh, mechanical engineering as well so there was paths to start working land side they also had business degrees and uh and stuff for the marine biology side as well so we had options within the academy itself to move away from the industry as well so we had options as well which was which was nice right you could have gone international business which is the shoreside business side of the merchant marine industry which I find is a phenomenal major, to be honest, yeah, is they give you the option to be the logistics, which is the final missing key of the whole supply chain puzzle. And it's very cool to be able to have all those options as you go through so that if you decide, hey, you know what, this particular thing isn't for me, you can still switch. And the majors are much like rates in the Coast Guard. And, you know, I can I put together is that like, International business is probably closest related to a storekeeper or a yeoman, you know, with logistics and paperwork side of the house, making business deals, contracting companies. But at the same time is that the closest relation that we have are those deck and engine majors because we're in a Coast Guard credited licensed program as you go through school. But as you're saying again, 
we get off Freshman Cruise, which was a truly amazing cruise. And you take a bunch of kids from New England and a couple people here or there from other parts of the country, but primarily New England for Maine Maritime Academy. And a bunch of us have never even barely left the country. And we're going overseas to Tenerife, Canary Islands, to the world's best water park. Oh, I do remember that. We're that going was on a lot water slides and with giant wave pools. Drinking good beer, having a good time. Drinking age is 16, so you're yeah. contributing to that country's drinking age. You conform to that country's drinking age. So, Yep. And um, uh, hitting, uh, hitting, hitting everything cool about each port. So we got we got opportunities to explore different cultures as well, mm-hmm. which was a true gift. And uh, um, I, as Jack and Boozy probably talked uh, um, talked about in his other podcasts, his experience with the Coast Guard as well. Both industries, uh, either going with the government or with the commercial side, you get to explore all these cool places that no one really else gets to explore or even get a chance to even see well then the sophomore year too we all had different types of ships some of our classmates went on tankers do with oil and vessels and they were in the gulf of mexico now for the coasties listening you know that the gulf of mexico has a lot of inspectors down there inspecting these tanker ships so it very much is the coast guard and the commercial industry the same sphere of area but different roles in the whole chain in the cogs. The commercial side moves the cargo from point A to point B, where it needs to go. The Coast Guard is there to make sure that you guys can do your job safely, efficiently, and there's going to be no issues with it happening. That's the safety of the vessel and safety of your crew. Yeah. And that's how we all work together in symbiotically in the industry. It's like the alligator with that bird that cleans its teeth so it yeah. doesn't eat it. Yeah. So we're working very much side by side. Now, of course, the Coast Guards, the U.S.'s Customs and Border Patrol also, you have all these regulatory agencies. The Coast Guard is one of those regulatory agencies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we still work side by side in a lot of ways. If you hear a distress call in Channel 16 and you're the closest ship, you're going out to that distress call just like we would if we were the closest cutter underway. Yep, we've been, we've been hailed a few times when we've been out there, and uh, we also get our um, we also hear through Channel Sixteen and the GMDSS as well. Uh, we hear about flip boats, EPIRBs that have gone off, and uh, and we also get every um, any any distress calls, any also calls about hazardous sailing uh, sailing areas in terms of weather. What we're going to see when it comes to port, like a fair few minute times when I sailed in, let's say, uh, South Korea, we would we would be warned if there's a fleet of small fishing boats that are leaving the port or by their Coast Guard. And we would be all the notice to Mariners reports. Yeah, all the notice to Mariners reports. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that we use that as an integral of how we sail. We have to we take all that information into account when we make our plans to come into port because it's it, it can get stressful sometimes well and i think just the fact that you guys when you are sailing to port you get to pick up a pilot and they'll yeah. sail you into their area of expertise so harbor pilots are personnel that have a high knowledge and experience of an area intense training of a particular region of water 
and they will sail these big ships into port because they know it like the back of their hand. They've studied it. They had to draw the whole chart from memory in order to become a pilot for that area. Yeah. And they're expecting those buoys to be all in line and all the range lights to be right in place. And that's what the Coast Guard is doing is making sure you guys can get into that port safely. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so cool that we're working together because you guys are able to do what you do because of us. But by us enabling you to do that, you're moving 90% of the world's goods by ocean yeah. as we need moved. And the <laughs> Merchant Marine is who moves that. Yeah, no, we, we keep the world economy at bay. And, and there's a shortage of Merchant Marines right now. Which is a truly a, a scary thing to think about. Because we, uh, if if we want to really boil it down to what that means for us as a whole and security for the United States, we need sailors mm-hmm. and we need ships, and uh, and we we need more sailors to be out there. So anybody that I encourage anybody to get into the sailing industry because one they take care of you, and two it helps America's best interests. Well, so I'd like to touch on this now is that. Past sophomore year, you have your commercial experience. We're really starting to refine our craft now and jump into that other side of management, which is equally as important as functionally being able to drive the ships. We have to learn to manage personnel as officers in the maritime industry. Yes. And so we've taken a bunch of psychology and management courses. They've made us take extra business courses all to improve our management side skills. With knowing how to manage a bridge team, get that synchronicity going, everyone on the same page, we all have the same picture, everyone feels free to point things out, no one keeps a secret, and that is the exact same bridge model that the Coast Guard pushes on their bridges. You know, that synchronicity, everyone's open to speak, see something, say something. Yeah. And that's just another similarity of like the two bridge styles. So for people listening... There are a lot of similarities between the Coast Guard and the maritime industry, especially because in the U.S., Coast Guard is a regulatory agency that credentials the mariners their licenses. So you get to take Coast Guard exams to get your license. So the programs in the maritime industry are run the way the Coast Guard wants them run. And the Merchant Marine Maritime Academies are running their programs the way the Coast Guard is telling them to run their programs. Yeah. But there's also differences, as we're well aware of. Now, first, the biggest difference that is going to strike right off the bat is pay. (laughs) So can you tell me, to the best of your knowledge, if you were to go out of high school as an ordinary seaman or an able-bodied seaman, no college education, what is the average pay typically for an ordinary seaman or able-bodied seaman? All right. So the uh, first job that you're going to get on a um, on a ship would be a uh, uh, th- something called an apprenticeship. Uh, apprentice is your 60-day apprenticeship to essentially uh, integrate you into the job that you're going to go in. That's basically your what would do we say that orientation. Is, yeah, your orientation. Your you're on the job training. So they typically make $25 a day, but that's all training purposes. And after you're finished those 60 days, you get into your job as an OS ordinary seaman, which uh, happens pretty much quickly right after that. And those sailors will make probably base salary would be around five to 6,000 a year. No, not a year, a month. 
five to six thousand per month starting out. Starting out, yes. Now is that because when you're sailing the commercial industry, you have chunks of time, several months in a row, you could be out. Yes. And then several months you could be home. Are you getting paid that consistently? So regardless if you're out or you're at home. So you're gonna make around six thousand a month. While you're underway? um, While you're underway. And the typical job contract is around 120 days. And then on top of that, you will create, uh, you will get what we call vacation pay, which will add on top of that what you already made. And, uh, and that typically runs around a hundred to $110 a day. And you'll might get 60 to 70 days worth of that on top of what you made. So you make about six to 700 a week before taxes or after taxes before taxes before taxes while you're not on the ship working yeah mind on vacation and mind you this is uh this is an os and th- this is also a stepping stone for you to get up to ab which you make a lot more as an ab so these are all these all these jobs are designed for you to move up in the industry quick these are all temporary positions as you get up to an ab watch standard all right, now I'll flip this around because a lot of people aren't thinking, do I want to go as an ordinary seaman or join the Coast Guard? They're thinking, do I want to go to the Maritime Academy or do I want to join the Coast Guard out of high school? All right. So you graduate as a third mate after four years of yeah. school. If you didn't have any scholarships or pay any money towards your tuition, how much would you be in debt coming out of college? I came out of college, personally speaking, around $180,000 in debt. And uh, that that seems like a lot. But if, you, uh, if you're making the money that I'm making right now, you will be easily pay that off before the interest will affect you, affect you even more than it already has. But, uh, but with the industry as a third mate, and once you get into a union, you won't have any problem paying off those bills. And having a, a very happy and sustainable life at the same time. Well, so let's say that we have two things right next to each other. So the path that joins the Coast Guard right off the bat stays at zero because you didn't pay to join the Coast Guard. Yes. Now you're negative 180000 after four years. <laughs> yeah. But you got scholarships. Let's say you had a job while you're in college. So we're, we'll put you at around negative one fifty. Okay. one fifty thousand. So you're 150000 lower in the hole. And plus four years of being in the Coast Guard, you've been earning about 30 years. So they're up about 120. Mm-hmm. So that's a net difference of $270,000 at year four from where you guys are right now. Yeah. Now, how much are you making though that's going to make that up, that difference up? So, uh, so currently the, uh, this year, my, uh, and I sailed 144, uh, 244 days this year. About and eight months? About eight months, yes. Okay, and so you did four months on, four months off, and then four months more on. So you sailed eight months you were underway this year. Correct. And and I did that with a couple companies. As I said, I sailed, I'm currently sailing with Tote Services, but I was working for Military Sealift Command before this. So I actually got some government training as well, which was, which was a real treat and experience for me to learn your side as well as a civilian. So I was able to see both sides as well. And uh, with my combined salaries, I made around 144000 this year. This past year? Yes. And, uh, and yes, no. And that includes vacation pay and all that. So that almost brings you to net zero at year five. Yes. And that was my first four, full year sailing as a third mate. 
Well, I'd like to throw this out then because what I've noticed a lot of people in the Coast Guard see is they don't want to sail eight months out of the year. That's just not something they want to do. Yeah. So if they wanted to be a commercial mariner like you, are there opportunities where you don't have to sail for four month chunks at a time? Because not everyone's built for going out to sea for four months at a time. Not everyone has that desire. A lot of people actually don't have that desire to sail for four months. It's a special kind of crazy to be able to do what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've had some times out at sea where I'm just like, uh, I, I screw this. I want to go home. I want to call my, my relief back early, but, uh, but, you got to dig deep and uh, and really be at one with yourself when you're when you're out there, but um, but there are opportunities in the industry such as working with tankers, in my union especially. The nice part about my union is that they give you permanent rotation, so you don't have to worry about losing your job when you leave a job. So these rotations typically sit around sixty to seventy five days. So you would go rotations. underway for roughly two months. And you'll be back home for two months. Okay, so that's roughly the schedule of a 270 in the Coast Guard. 60 to 70 days out. Yes. But here's a plus side now for the merchant marine industry. When you go home those two months, are you still attached to the boat or are you completely away from the boat? So we are um, we are completely away of the boat. We uh, What we do is we keep in touch with our detailers during that time to when we want to essentially go back. But what um, what we do is uh, essentially we just keep in touch with the union. We go in for training. But besides that, all that time is ours. We don't need to worry about anything when it comes to the ship, anything that we do. We literally can't take work home because the work is somewhere else in a port. But uh, But it's nice to just look away from work. And I've been home for two weeks now and I'm having a blast. So, yeah. Right. So now in the Coast Guard... After a six-day patrol, they'd come home. They'd have what's called one-week stand-down. So you'd only show up if you have duty on the boat, which might be once or twice during that stand-down. Other than that, you're free to go home. Mm -hmm. Then you come back to the boat and you're working in port on abbreviated work weeks. Mind you, they're called drop hours. You're working about six hours a day, four to five days a week, Uh depending on how your command does it. And you what you do like eight, nine hours of work when that happens? No, you would show up around 7 a.m., and you get out about 1 p.m. Well, that's not... And, you know, there's workout hours, and some units have workout hours. A lot of land units have workout hours, and um, they cut you loose sometimes early if there's no work to be done, and they know the crew works hard, and they do a lot of work underway. So mm-hmm. it's very much a different style of working because during those two months, you're going to be able to go home every night. Now you are home every night, those two months, except for when you're at training. Yeah. So in both scenarios, you have that chunk of time home. However, that billet in the Coast Guard on that 270 lasts three years. And then you have a high priority to, if you don't want to go on another cutter underway for a long period of time, and you'd rather have something that's more land side, you can push for that and potentially get a land job for several years where you go home every single night. <laughs> that would be nice, yeah. Do they have those opportunities, though, for third and second mate, so early in your merchant marine career? All right, so um, what what the there are, of course, uh, union land jobs, so like working as dispatchers with the companies themselves, detailers, uh, the, the, essentially the middleman 
for uh, for the union. So essentially what the union does is they provide the workers. The company provides the detailers and and all all the people that make sure their credentials are in order and that they're filed with the Coast Guard and also to just getting the sailors to and from the ship. Also, you can become a, a DPA, designated person ashore, where they are the ones that uphold the uh, the SMS of the ship, which is uh, um, which is our safety management system. And uh, I believe the Coast Guard uh, relies heavily on that and and looks upon that to see if that we're upholding what we need to uphold. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that's another opportunity for a shore side with us also. But but a lot where a lot of the money is, is we just we just go out and sail and steal as long as we possibly can until we're we say we're done with this and we want to do something new. Is that time hard on family life or can it be hard? It, it's all several it's, months at a time. It's all about mindset. If you're if you're strong in the um, if you're strong and confident, you you will have no problem ha- having a family. You just the way the way that I learned and I had girlfriends out at sea and I know go uh, spending time away with them. You're worried about what they're doing, who they're with. But what I've learned is that you can't you can't worry about what you can't control. And if they want to stick around, it's meant to be. If they don't want to stick around, you, you let them go. But um, my view is, is that it, you just need to be strong mentally and you'll be okay. And if you're not strong mentally, this is not the industry for you because we deal with some, <laughs> with some very colorful people that, that, are, that have been doing this for a long time and you have to grow up quick. And I'm 24 years old, about to be 25, and... I've learned a lot from the 60-year-olds and 50-year-olds that are on my ship. They taught me a lot about how to conduct myself, how to be a, how to be essentially a true mariner out there because it takes real grit to be out there. You have some days where you don't want to work, but you still got to put your best foot forward. There are no days off out at sea. <laughs> What's a sick day? But yeah. <laughs> 120 days in a row. What? Yeah. Not a single day off. Yeah, no, that I 12 hours straight every single day. So yeah, but you also got to see some interesting places now. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, we call that work hard, play hard. Oh my God, yeah. Some of the ports that I saw it was it was a real treat. Like, so I I saw South Korea a year ago. That was amazing. I never thought I was going to even go there, and I took a ship all the way over there. That was amazing. So between the two of us, we've covered five of the seven continents, and yeah, you know, we've had an epic journey. I'll that's the word to describe it as epic is because I know during college you had more time to get off the boat and go play in the ports yeah. than you do when you're actually working in the maritime industry. You don't have nearly as much time to go play in the ports. I know especially on a lot of those Maersk cargo ships, they're in and out, bang, bang, as hey, soon hours. as all those containers are off. So you can go to a lot of cool places. There's no guarantees you're going to be able to get off at all those places. But when you do get off... It's a real treat, yeah. There's some nice spots in those oh ports. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, uh, when I was with uh, working for Pace Hawaii, they, we, we had the... Um, since we only ran through two ports, we would have to spend overnight because we had to offload the entire cargo of, of our ship and onload the empties. So so we, we had opportunities on our off time to 
essentially explore the port, but that was at your own risk because you're carving into your sleep hours, but it obviously is worth it. So, yeah. Well, I'll also touch on this now, too, is that there is the third option. So you don't know whether you want to join the Coast Guard or the maritime industry. You don't know whether you want to join the Coast Guard or the maritime industry. And you have the option of enlist in the Coast Guard, do your four years, either stay in the Coast Guard because you love the Coast Guard, which is what a lot of people end up doing. They say they're only going to do four years and they just stay (laughs) because they love the Coast Guard. (laughs) We have great missions and we have a lot of people that love what they do. It's the same thing with the sailing industry. Oh, I'm going to be done with the sailing industry 20 years later. Well, here's the thing now is maybe they decide, I do like going underway in sailing, but I don't like the military aspect because, you know, there's a lot expected of you to be in the military. You have a full beard right now. I'm not allowed to have a full beard. (laughs) That will hopefully change. Uh, Apparently, there's a beard poll that went out for the Coast Guard a couple months ago and over 90% of Coasties wanted beards. I'm ruined for you guys. Be on the lookout for that one. Now, getting back to what I was saying though. So you leave the Coast Guard for four years. You go to the Maritime Academy or the GI Bill. Now you have none of the debt occurred from the Maritime Academy. You gave your service to your country for four years in the Coast Guard and now you're a civilian mariner. Alternatively, you could go to the Maritime Academy, come out, and join the Coast Guard as an officer, either through Officer Candidate School, which is available to any college graduate, or you go through the direct commission program called the Maritime Graduate Program, the Margrad Program. And that's what I'm currently applying for is the Margrad Program to become a Coast Guard officer through the direct commission route. So that is another alternative that you have is that you can go through the maritime industry and you have not closed off the Coast Guard to you. I decided to enlist the Coast Guard after the maritime industry because, you know, I was thinking of joining the Coast Guard before I went to Maine Maritime. And I ultimately decided through my work there, I had opportunities that I could go sail Coast Guard cutters. A lot of the maritime academies have auxiliary units. Maine Maritime Academy does not have, at least when we were there, they didn't have an auxiliary unit. They were but talking about one. SUNY but, Maritime yeah. has one. Mass Maritime has one. So these other maritime academies do have auxiliary units you can be a part of to see how you like working in the Coast Guard. And I just made my decision after a junior cruise where after your junior cruise, you're really starting to look at careers in the maritime industry. You're starting to make those connections with companies. You can also start talking to a Coast Guard recruiter about joining the Coast Guard in the Margaret capacity or the OCS capacity or the direct commission select school. So there's tons of routes to join the Coast Guard if that's what you want. And I just wanted to let the viewers know is that there are options if you decide to go to the Maritime Academy. You have not closed off your potential to the Coast Guard. Well, believe, uh, believe it or not, there's actually another option that not a lot of people know about that, that I sail with a couple of sailors that did this um, through the Navy, actually. And there is actually a path through the Navy to become a merchant mariner as a second mate um, through their ship because their ships are rather large with the tonnage requirements that require for my line of work. And they could actually, go uh, with their sailing time and their experiences through their classes, actually qualifies them for the MMC. All they had to do was take the exam. So now, did you have to go through Navy ROTC in order to do that in college? You're a naval officer? 
Or could you enlist in the Navy and also get to that point? Yes. No, I talked to a, a friend of mine that, uh, that I sailed with just recently. I talked to him on how he, he became a merchant marine. And he said he went through, through the Navy, which was, which was fascinating because I didn't really know about that. No, there's and, tons of routes and the, a lot of them are not publicized. No. So you have to dig the roots. And that's why we tried to promote on Coast to Coast these all your options is because people don't necessarily know about all the options because they're really vague and not yeah. covered too deeply. That's why I've uh, I visited a couple high schools in my hometown and I told them about the license route, the college that I went to. And I also talked talk to them about the unlicensed route because I feel like that is a real opportunity for a person who doesn't really want to go to school, go do a four-year degree, put all that money out, put themselves in debt and want to make money now to help to support their family, to support themselves, kids, what, um, whatever their life is, is giving them now. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I learned about a place called Piney Point which was really fascinating. And that place too, you can choose between deck and engine and also the steward side of the shipping industry as well. Oh, the cooks? The cooks, yeah. Like the uh, the stewards department. Yeah, the mm-hmm. stewards department. Yeah, because we have deck, engine, and cooks in yeah. the commercial vessels. And then on some of the larger ones, like military seal commands, the supply department, this whole support department. Yes, the yeomans, all that stuff. That's correct. So I want to uh, pivot in this discussion and ask you because you're a commercial mariner what's your opinion of the coast guard do you like us <laughs> you're trying to hide from us <laughs> well, all, all, well everything that's wrong with your ship you're trying to hide everything that's wrong with it <laughs> well we we put everything broken in the bilge so you can't see it so um, but, but uh what's it called we um it depends on the age of the vessel like the the vessel that i was sailing on previously they um she was rather old so there was going to be stuff wrong with her, but, um, but that's why we paint over all the rust so you can't see it. So, um, but, uh, but it, it could be stressful for us because we're trying to meet quotas. We're trying to make sure everything's up, up to date, ready to go. We got to focus on cargo on top of the safety requirements on top of everything else. And for a crew of 18, that could be a lot for right, a thousand you guys do not sail with too high of crew numbers no no especially with the low numbers that we're seeing right now we were sailing with a crew of 16 and we got a waiver for it to sail across the ocean i couldn't believe it and i get a lot of questions from people in the coast guard is how many people typically sail on those vessels so how big is your vessel for those 16 people to sail on oh those that ship was seven eight hundred feet yeah and that's typical 16 to 20 people sailing on a vessel that size we would typically keep it around 20 21 Mm-hmm. But since the crew shortages that we've been seeing on deck and engine, we've been seeing 17, 18. That really puts strain on the watch standards. The general maintenance of the vessels is hurt because of that, because we still got to be underway and we have to have a watch standard on the bridge, which essentially limits their, the amount of time that they have on deck to do the the work that's needed to be done. And there's no way everything we upcapped with those short man and numbers well, it also depends on the age of the ship, but mm-hmm. like the new ships, you don't need a you don't need to do as much work. But it's you know, basically cleanliness, cleaning the ship, make sure things run smooth. But an older ship, you need a chip, you need a paint, you need a slush wires, you need you need to do all this stuff, or the ship will will not be fit to sail, and the coast guard will will eat us alive. But but uh, but yeah, no, we 
like my last ship that I sailed on, we were pretty confident and we showed the Coast Guard everything and they were pretty impressed at what we did. So we take pride in that. But we're, we also stress out the chief mate is on us every single day to make sure that we uphold the requirements that you set for us to make sure that we're safe. We're, we, we're never really truly mad at you. We just get annoyed when you point out what we did wrong. So, so yeah. when, when you're talking about the Coast Guard, though, you're really nailing that prevention division who comes on and inspects you, make sure all your books are up to date. Yes. Make sure that your vessel's fit for sea, that you can sail and move that cargo during your time quota. No. Do you do you ever though interact or deal with any of the other sides of the Coast Guard that deal with the LE side of the Coast Guard? So the law enforcement, the search and rescue side of the Coast Guard, migrant interdiction, drug interdiction. Do you see any of the side of the Coast Guard in the commercial industry? Uh yes. We um the chief mate typically does and works with this is because when I was working with government vessels, we um, we we dealt with a lot of security information, all NCIS stuff. That's typically CGS. yeah, and uh, we um, what? that's like uh, the Coast Guard's NCIS sieges. Yes, yeah, no, the um, I never heard of that before, so that was new. That was a new term for me. I, tr- I try not to say their name too loud. I think they might be hearing me, but <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah. sieges members listening, I know that. You're very much fans of the show, and we'd like to have you on here. <laughs> well, I'm rooting for them. So uh, we, um, we, uh, we, that's typically done with the chief mate because he's usually the vessel security officer. VSO? Yeah, the VSO. And uh, so for, as a third mate, and I'm going to go a little off tangent here, as a third mate, we work actually pretty much with the Coast Guard because as a third mate, you're in charge of all the safety equipment and firefighting equipment aboard. All the lifeboats, all the SCBAs, life rings, etc. So I'm in charge of all the paperwork that goes with it. Make sure everything's up to date, anything expired. Make sure it looks good. Make sure it actually works. So I'm constantly doing maintenance on this gear. So can I cut you off here for a second and ask how much paperwork is involved as a third mate? There's a lot. So you're each- responsible for that paperwork as the yes. officer. Yes, yeah, so we have a paper log as, as well as an electronic log and the official logbook on the ship. You have to keep a paper uh, paper record of everything because if if there if it's not on paper, it never happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we have to we log. So like my last ship, we would do a um, a discrepancy list. We would find everything that we possibly can find wrong when it comes to the safety equipment, anything on the ship. So we know that it's there, and what we'll do is we'll create maintenance uh, maintenance schedules to make sure that everything is up to date and make sure everything is up to code. But also, too, that we recognize that it's there. So when you guys come on board, the Coast Guard, that we could show. All right, when when you come on board, we have this that this this and this that we're working on. We recognize that it's there, and that we are we are on it. That we're fixing. That we ordered the parts for that. So, because it won't look good for us that if we're trying to hide something that we, and you guys find it and they'd be like, oh yeah, we knew that was there. So why, why didn't you write that down? That just tells them that we, the Coast Guard, that we're not on top of our gear. So like we would create discrepancy lists every month. We would have paper log trails for all the gear on board and have separate inspections for them. Some of them were weekly inspections, some of them monthly, and some of them are every three months. 
So the, it would vary on importance, and also mm-hmm. we would have to follow soulless requirements, uh, CFR requirements. We fall strictly with the CFR, the Code of Federal Regulations. And that also ties in a lot of how we keep the gear up to date as well. Like we, we have to follow the CFRs. Well, I think you're helping me put together a picture here is that all this stuff that you're saying that you're doing is directly related to the marine science technician and prevention field of the Coast Guard. Yes. Now, in terms of the Coast Guard's missions, that's one sliver of everything the Coast Guard does. Yes. But that is the side that primarily works with the commercial mariner industry. Mm -hmm. So that is the direct link to the commercial mariner side of the industry is the prevention world of the Coast Guard. Yes. Stop it before it goes wrong. Right. Like everything that, like, this is something that we all like to say as sailors, like everything, every rule that's created by the Coast Guard or anything is written in blood because something went wrong and we, we fix it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, uh, like some of the big events, like the El Faro, Titanic, all, a lot of the requirements that we have to follow that the Coast Guard upheld, upholds is because we had Marine casualties where there was loss of life. Well, think about the Exxon Valdez even where yeah. all that oil spilt into Prince William Sound. Yes. That crude oil. Mm-hmm. That was a disaster. And we don't want things like that ever happening again. Yes. So that we put new regulations and implementations in place. Yeah, that was a lot of uh, AB, the ABS side of inspections. To prevent that from happening in the future, i.e. prevention. Yeah. No, a lot of it's preventative maintenance. We call it preventative. We have preventative maintenance systems on board where we actually have um, computer algorithms that will tell us, hey, you got to focus on this today. Like this maintenance should be done every two months to make sure it's safe and ready to go. Like, or this one should be checked every month or every week. Well, yes. And, you know, the whole idea behind it, again, is you guys are moving 90% of the world's cargo. You can't be held back in port for silly things that should have been kept up in maintenance. You don't want yes. something silly holding you from staying on schedule delivering your cargo because we already have supply chain issues in this country yeah. <laughs> and worldwide. Like everybody remembers what happened over the Suez Canal, the ship called the Ever Given, which actually a funny picture was just put out there. The bulbous valve was cut off on that ship just recently. That's the one that turned sideways and blocked the whole Suez Canal. Yeah, no, and that was a major problem. Like for us sailors, we're like, what just happened there? Like I had a couple of friends that were that were waiting on one of the sides of the canals waiting for that ship to be unplugged. So, yeah, it was a clog in a toilet, like having that thing in there because no that, one could get through. And billions, millions of dollars was held up and people Imagine lost a lot of money. Imagine the reefer carts with fresh fruits and vegetables. Energy. Energy alone. Mm-hmm. Like get a fuel. Like we, we also, it's we not just- We saw it at the pumps. It's just, as, as the commercial industry, it's not only just consumer items such as- your um your the clothes that you wear the food that you eat we also provide the energy to keep your lights on mm-hmm. uh, in terms of fuel oil all that stuff uh, asphalt we we move everything that's right and it all moves by water which is um which is really cool like when you're when you're in the shipping lanes out at sea like as like the coast guard doesn't really go as far off the coast as we do some of the um 
offshore patrol cutters do. Like, do they go past the EZ? Or? Well, they have what's called the Wimsels now. Uh, they go outside the exclusive economic zone, the EZ. They go way past 200 miles. They're oh. out there for months at a time. Oh, I did not know doing that. Doing national security missions. They're national security cutters. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So they're the ones that are out there, um, are far out Coast Guard, I'll say. They do a lot of partnering and joint missions with other countries. So... It's not just the local small boat you see that's there to rescue the commercial mariner on their pleasure boat for the week. That's one part. <laughs> they of they the flip boat. it over just uh, because they're having too much fun. But yeah, right, I, had too many to drink and they went out on the water. But <laughs> no, we have big national security cutters that go far out. That's pretty cool. But they're operating for the national interest. Yeah, no. Their, their operations take them further out. That's why they're built bigger and further out, closer to your ship sizes, but still significantly smaller. Well, yeah, no, you guys are um, with the shipping industry. Like some of the new container ships that are coming out of these, uh, ca- coming out of the, uh, out of these factories, they they're building. They can hold eighteen, seventeen thousand containers. <laughs> no, no cutters even close to that size. The, the biggest cutters we have are the polar security ones which are the icebreakers that go to the Arctic and Antarctic. That's really cool. So, yeah. Hey, shipping lanes are opening up in the Arctic. Maybe you'll be sailing up there at some point soon because of the way they're opening. Yeah. What do, uh, what do they call that shipping route? The uh, Northwest Passage. The Northwest Passage, mm-hmm. yeah. we. Um, I got a friend who's currently working up in the uh, Arctic Circle right now. He, he's he got in his endorsements. He's ready to go. This is his first job, which, is fast, which I'm really excited for him. We'll see. That's the thing. That that's an opportunity that's opening up to people and creating more jobs. Yeah, on an already strained industry, mind you. So see how that goes. But <laughs> yeah. All right. So I want to ask you now, based on our conversation that we've had, if you had someone come up to you, so they're a prospective high schooler, and they say, "Silver." You know, I really don't know what I want to do. I, I know the Coast Guard. It sounds like it's a really good job opportunity. I really like the missions of the Coast Guard. I really like what they do. I like the idea of serving my country for a couple of years. And then we'll see where we go from there. But there's also the Maritime Academy. And I just, I really don't know which way I should go. Now, that's a very personal choice. I'm not asking you to box anyone in to a solution there. But I'm asking you, from your perspective, what advice would you give someone that generally curious about both paths and would like to have assistance deciding whether they should go to the Maritime Academy or join the Coast Guard. Uh, first, when when a person asks me about which which path they would like to take, I, I never like to persuade people either, either way. I like to enlighten them on my journey and my experiences so they can make an educated decision. And, uh, and what I'll do is I'll explain to them what, what they would see um, in, in an academy that I went through. And, and what, I would, what, what I would say is I, I would ask them if, if they're one, that if they're mentally prepared and what they're, what's going to come. Because you have to be mentally prepared for what this industry is going to bring your way. Because it's not for the faint of heart. Also, both sides bring structure. Both industries bring structure. And also, too, um, it is a true financial decision like we were talking about before. Are you are you willing to put yourself in that much debt 
to do what you want to do. Are you, because like in the Coast Guard, there are so many different routes that you can take with the Coast Guard. With the sailing industry, there is only really one path. You're going mm-hmm. out to sea. There's so many skills and specialties you can learn in the Coast Guard and you can tailor that to a civilian career afterwards that may not have anything to do with the water after that. And that is the real question. Are you willing to go away from your family, go away from your loved ones to be a part of something bigger than yourself and help the world run? Or do you want to do you want to put uh, get your feet wet a little bit and go to the Coast Guard and experience the sailing industry and also experience the other Great things that the Coast Guard has to offer. Mm-hmm. And and nothing, no one says that you can't go back to the sailing industry afterwards as That's well. That's right. There's no cap or limit on time. Like I'm 24 years old currently right now. And I was sailing, I was the youngest person on this, ve- on the last vessel that I was on. Mm-hmm. And I had people that I was under, that was under my command that has been sailing longer than I've been alive. And, uh, and that's really, that's really humbling to me. Like, and I, and a lot of people will be like, Oh, I'm, I'm higher rate. You got to listen to me. No, I listen to them because they have experience that is valuable that you, that you can't throw away. So my thing too, is that where, where I'm going with this is that a lot of the non rates, a lot of the OSs are 29, 30 years old. They started this industry later. Because they figured it out, they found it, and they finally took a chance, and and they went out there, and they're and they're having a blast. It's just there's no times table to any of this. Um, if you want to go out sailing with the commercial industry, do it when you're ready. Do mm-hmm. it when you are mentally ready to do it. Because if you're not mentally there, if you if you don't feel like you're in your center, you're gonna have a tough time out there. And it is very, as physically taxing as it is, it's mentally taxing to be out underway for several months at a time. Exactly. And I think everyone hits a wall, regardless of how mentally strong you are. Yeah, my day, that, is, uh, my day is 85. We, we That's question, what happens. We question our life choices for why we decide to come out here. <laughs> but I'll end it on this too, is you can really get into a zone in a good routine for yourself because... It's a great time to eat well. You can exercise, read a lot of books underway, and really get deep into yourself and learn who you are better, who you truly are and want to be as a person. I always, especially my last trip, that that is exactly how I feel, is that as you sail with these, uh, with, with the gentleman that you sail with, you're... Um, you really learn what's important in life, what 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 really is is worth your time, and and in the end, it toughens you up. It gives you grit, mm-hmm. and that and that is really hard to develop when you're in everyday life, because a lot of things are going on. Where in the sailing industry, you can remove yourself from society, from all the distractions when it comes to social media friends, friendships, relationships that you once were in or are currently in. And you can look at, you can subjectively look at it from a secondhand point of view and you can decide with, with, uh, from yourself, it, with yourself, am I doing the right thing for me? Is the path that I am taking currently right now 
the right path. Mm -hmm. And the sailing industry allows you to look at that and better yourself. So when you actually get reintroduced in society, you can literally hit the ground running, which is a really awesome thing. As a commercial mariner, have all the time in the world in your hands. Oh my God, yeah. Four months and... You have four months off. It's high <laughs> and I'm enjoying it every second of it. It's it's a lot of fun. Like I can actually start hobbies and do things that I've always wanted to do and have the money to do it, which is awesome. But that's all with... Um, with all the uh, with all that I've earned, it also comes with the responsibility, and that and that you know I can't stress that enough, and and the responsibility of your fellow sailors, your family, you got to take care of everybody, mm-hmm. and that's just just being a good person, because when you're out at sea, th- these are not just coworkers, they're your family, mm-hmm. and your life is in their hands, and your um and I. And, and that if something goes wrong, you better trust everybody on that ship to do what's right for you. There's no grudges being held and it's truly as a family and it's something amazing to experience. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there are going to be some people that you dislike, but I will put my life in harm's way to make sure they're safe. Always. And that's what a true shipmate does. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for coming on today and discussing the civilian side of the merchant marine industry. Yeah, no, it was a real pleasure. I, I really yeah. enjoyed uh, bringing it's, to light what, what it's I It's nice to compare and see how similar we interact and just how different our scopes are. I mean... In the end, we're all one big family. We're all sailors. Mm-hmm. And we all got to look out for one another. And, and in the end, uh, we do one of the most important jobs in the world. One of the most unique, important jobs in the world that is very underappreciated. And... Uh, large and scope. They don't realize how much... We make the world run yes. as sailors. And we take pride in what we do. Completely. And we joke around a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, we all, all the jokes and the memes are legendary. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I would throw out to you, do you think we should do another episode on just talking about our experience in college at the Academy? Correct. Yes, we should. Okay. So you heard it from Silver. We are going to do a second episode with him as the guest. And in the second episode, we're going to talk exclusively about our time at the Maritime Academy and everything we did there. So stay tuned for that episode. And again, thank you for coming on and enlightening the guests about the commercial industry. I get a ton of questions about commercial industry. And so it's nice to have a commercial mariner's perspective on here to be able to fill in some of those gaps. I'm glad to share my experience. Yeah, of course. Thank you again. And thank you everyone for listening. And stay tuned for the next episode coming in the future about the time at the Maritime Academy. Thank you.